Thank you, thank you. Well, in the midst of a series, we uh, around here for you that are visiting, we do messages in series. Usually there's six. And um, to start off today, though, I'd like, kind of like to ask you questions. Have we maybe all had those experiences in our life, particularly when we were younger, maybe, where we said, man, I, I can't believe I did that, you know? For, for example, for example, just curious. Now, a, as I ask you these, I'm going to have to get rapid fire. I don't want to waste a lot of time on this. Uh, just kind of raise your hand and keep your hand up. How many in here have ever bungee jumped? Can I see your hands? Can't believe you ever did that. You bungee. Just keep your hand up if you did. How many have ever skydived? Skydiving? Okay, keep your hands up. How many have ever streaked? I, I saw that. <laughs> it's okay. You're in a safe place. Confession is good for the soul. <laughs> I got this note from uh, one of our elders in the church th this week. He was in Honduras, uh, his daughter and his son-in-law are down there. And so they went on this excursion where they were going to go to this uh, unpronounceable waterfall. And I'll just show you a picture of it. It should be uh, on the screens. And so they were going to walk behind the waterfall. And, of course, he thought it would just be, you know, an exciting, fun thing. He says, when we got there, the guide says, the water's been running extra hard. I don't know if we're going to be able to go. Well, that was the first alert. He says, they get there. And then the guy turns to him because the water, he said, is raging. So behind this, there's water in a cave. They're crossing across, and it's just raging. And the guy looks at them and says, you can all swim, right? <laughs> and my buddy, the elder, elder of the church, he says, he's thinking to himself, in a pool? <laughs> he said, they got in this water, and it was up to neck high. They're, they're grabbing what little bit they could onto the walls of the cave, not to be swept away. I don't know what happens if you get swept away. I guess you go down the fall. And he, he said this. He, he was very serious. I've known this guy for like almost 40 years. He said, I literally thought I was going to die. Um, then at the end, he says, but boy, was it exhilarating. I can't, <laughs> I can't believe I did that, you know. Well, you know, I wish that uh, all of our I can't believe I did that experiences we're fun and we could laugh about them, but the truth of the matter is they're, they're not like that. Uh, I, I have. I have an assortment of experiences like that in my own life where I say, man, I can't believe it. I cannot believe that I did that. We're in a series of messages called Spiritual De Dejection, and it's these kind of experiences, these I can't believe I did it, and not the kind that we're happy about, not the kind we're laughing about, but the kind that jolt us, they shake us, they, they make us sit in the corner and say, who am I? What, what, what am I not capable of? I can't believe that I did this. And we feel dejected. We feel dispirited. We feel disoriented. We're, we're confused. We're, we're not sure anymore what kind of a human being we really are. I, I'm sure that most of us in here, we, we've probably tried to distance ourselves and, and crowd out those memories the best that we can. And even me talking about this, might be uncomfortable for some of us. And that's not my intention, but my intention is to, to connect because I suspect that most of us in here have had those kinds of experiences. And most of us probably are thinking that I, I don't want to ever continue to have those kind of experiences. I, I want to be able to guard. I want to be able to protect. I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to live with that kind of memory and perhaps the memory of damage done, uh, irreparable damage done, decisions made that are continuing on to this day in the repercussions that's the kind of experiences we're talking about today I can't believe I did that now we're going to look at a man that we started looking at just a little bit last week we were in two other messages where we looked at the first king of Israel King Saul 
The second king of Israel was David, the greatest of kings. In fact, the scripture writes more about David than anyone else in scripture except for Jesus himself. So David is called in 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, by God himself. He says, this is the king that's, that's a man after my own heart. God's saying, this is a guy I know from the inside out, and he thinks the way I think, and he feels the way I feel, and he loves righteousness and goodness the way I love righteousness and goodness. It's not that David was a perfect man. He needed forgiveness just like any other human. But God had early on in his life won David's trust, and David was absolutely a fully devoted follower of God. But we're going to look at an incident in his life. When we come to this incident, David is not a kid anymore. He, he's been reigning and ruling in Israel for about 20 years. He's a 50-year-old man. He's made tremendous accomplishments. He, he has led the people of Israel to worship God, to love God with all their hearts. Uh, he, he has been a model for the people of Israel. And you kind of know some of the events, you know, he's the killer of Goliath. He's the leader of the troops of Israel to push back the tribes that, that God had said needed to be pushed out of the land. He had done all these things so well. We come to this portion of his life 20 years in. Now, now mind you, he'll reign for another 20 years after this event. But he's a 50-year-old guy. He's not a kid anymore. He, he's mature. He's seen a lot of life. So here we, we pick up. I'm in 2 Samuel chapter 11. I can't read you the entire passage, so I'll fill in the, you know, the gaps of what goes on when it's necessary. It says, in the spring, at the time, notice this is emphasized, at the time when kings do what? Go off to war. The reason that Israel wanted a king in the first place is they wanted to be like the other nations and have a, a physical king that would lead them out into battle. They had previously, for 350 years of their existence, God was their invisible king, but Israel wanted a physical king. And so that was the, one of the main functions of kings in those days. They led their troops out in battle. So notice, it's the time. It's the time. And David would have known this. He'd been doing this for 20 years. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained where and he remained in Jerusalem at the time when he knew that the kings go out to war that, that, that's what the leaders were called and equipped to do that, that's what God had called David and equipped him to do but he's 20 years in he's got a lot of victories under his belt he feels now that he can, he can pull back and he's kind of entitled entitled to a little bit of rest maybe let's go on one evening, David got up from his bed, and he walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. It goes on. Many of you are familiar with this story. It goes on. Uh, then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now, she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived. She's now pregnant. And sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. So David sent his word to Joab. That was his general. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. So, mind you, her real husband, he, he's out fighting the wars of, of, the, you know, of God. And David sends to bring this guy back. It goes on. 
Then Uriah said to David, the ark in Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Let me fill in the blank. David knows Bathsheba's pregnant. He wants Uriah to go home, and he's tried to convince him, go home, enjoy yourself. You've been a good soldier. You know, enjoy your time with your wife. He wants to cover up his sin. He, he wants to cover up his, I can't believe I did that moment and decision. But Uriah is such a loyal individual, he refuses to go home. Why should he, he says, be privileged uh, when the men are out still in, in the fields fight? It goes on. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him so he will be struck down in, what's the word? So he's gone from committing adultery to now trying to cover his sin with deceit. Now he's going to kill this man. He, he's going to try to wipe out. He's going to try to cover up his sin. Now, I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable, but I, I just know human nature. I know myself. I know what I'm capable of, of doing. Uh, I know what most of us have probably done sometimes. Have you, have you ever had that experience? Let me rephrase that. I know you have. Can you remember the experience where not only did you do something that you were very uncomfortable, maybe ashamed of, you felt guilty about, rightly so, but instead of acknowledging it, instead of owning it, you tried to excuse it. You tried to legitimize it. You tried to minimize it. You tried to blame shift it. You tried to hide it. You tried to cover it up. Maybe even to someone else's hurt. Come on, let's be honest. This is what we're made of, folks. David was a righteous man. He had served God probably for over 30 years. He probably came to know God and trusted in him when he was in his teen years. He had been faithful to God all those years. But he was susceptible to temptation, to sin, to do evil, to be selfish, to yield to his desires at the expense of someone else, and then to lie and to bury it and to do whatever needed to be done to cover it up. And most likely, so have we. I'm going to go further. Some of us, we've been covering up for 10 or 15 or 20 years. Our whole persona is built around trying to cover up some component of our life, some secret part of our life some some hurtful part of our life some part of our life that we're deeply uncomfortable and ashamed of and rightly so so it goes on when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead she mourned for him after the time of mourning was over David had brought her to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son but the thing David had done displeased the Lord now, most of you might know the story. The child actually dies. God does give David and Bathsheba another son, and he becomes the, the king after David, and he's King Solomon. So God showed tremendous patience, tremendous mercy, but he definitely brought David to confront this thing. He didn't let David bury it forever. He sends Nathan the prophet into David's life, and he confronts him. David repents. And if you have read Psalm 32 or Psalm 51, you know that David's heart was just completely wrung out in anguish because of what he had done. And he, he totally repents of it. And the next 20 years of his life, the next 20 years of his reign, David is a faithful man to God and to his word and to his truth. Now, I'm going to just say something. There's some of you in this room. You, you've been around the church scene a while. 
And you love this story, but you don't love it for the right reason. You love this story because you think it gives you a hall pass to continue to do evil in your life. And if you are that stupid, I frankly don't know what to say to you. Because the truth about something that God calls sin, when God calls something sin, he's telling us this is destructive for you. This is bad for you. This is going to deprive you of the highest good. This is going to deprive you of joy. This is going to deprive you of peace. This is going to deprive you of learning how to love the way God loves. This is going to hurt those that are interacting with you. If we are that stupid that we think it's a hall pass to sin and do destruction to ourselves and do destruction to those around us, I frankly don't know what to say to you, but I know that there's some people, because I interact with them, they, they love this story. They say, look, look, David, he was a man after God's own heart, and look what he did. And they justify that to continue to practice immorality and all kinds of other dishonesty and, and things that God calls sin. We've we got to get this in our head. When God calls something sin, he's not just trying to take our fun away. He, he's trying to protect us. He is trying to rescue us. When he designed us, he designed us in his own image, and we function on kindness. We function on love. We function on unselfishness. We function on righteousness. And when we mix in things that are not part of the way God designed us, it hurts us. We don't always see it right away. It sometimes takes time. It's kind of like smoking cigarettes. You don't die the first time you take a puff. You don't get cancer with the first puff. How many of you know if you, if you got cancer the first puff, not so many people would smoke? And, and for you that are smokers, I'm, I'm not trying to pick on you this morning. Uh, you can go on and smoke your lungs out if you choose to. But you're foolish and you know it. You're foolish. You're, you're, you're begging for damage. And we know it. Now, now, Ricky and Lucy didn't know it. Somebody, you, you don't even know who Ricky and Lucy is. It was chic in those days. It's not chic anymore. It's just stupid. <laughs> so for you that clutch on to this story to legitimize, minimize, and rationalize your ongoing evil doing, you're just, you, how many heard my message last week? How many, can, can, and it was about what? Being a fool. And God says we're fools if we mock at sin because we're just doing it to our own destruction so this story it, it, it's here it is here to show that even the most careful the most totally devoted follower of God can fall at any time and can be forgiven but it is not here for the fool that thinks this is a hall pass to continue to sin and frankly if you are that person and you're hearing this you need to know something about yourself it is highly unlikely that you're a real Christian it is highly unlikely that you're a real follower of Christ because there are too many scriptures that say that it is not normative for a real follower of Christ to continue to practice sin <laughs> Randy, are you saying we're perfect the minute that we turn, turn to Christ? No, but I'm saying we get into a battle with ourselves. We don't want to sin anymore. We know it's destructive. If God says it's not good, it's not good. If God says righteousness is good, we want it. When we truly come to trust in God, we want his ways. We want his will. We want to do what he says is good for us, and we do not want to do what he says is hurtful to us and others. And so there, there's a, a battle that goes on in a real follower of Christ but if a person is just comfortable in unrighteousness and legitimize it and compartmentalize it, we do that sometimes. Well, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good fellow compared to who I used to be, but I do have this one portion of my life. And, you know, you can't be perfect, Randy. Look at David. 
And that's how this thing is used. And if you're that person, I hope you hear me and I hope you're upset about what I'm saying because you need to be upset. You're deceived. So the story gives hope to all of us in that God was merciful with David, but it does not give us a license unless we're a fool, and in which case it's not going to matter anyway what the message in the story was about. So we're going to probe deeper. David was a seasoned follower of God. He trusted in the Lord with all of his heart, and yet he still had this happen. He still had this, I can't believe I did it. And when you read Psalm 32, and I hope you will sometime, and when you read Psalm 51, you'll hear the anguish in this man's soul because he had that feeling, I can't believe, I can't believe I was capable of this. I don't know how to undo this. And we can't a lot of times. We can't undo it. So let's probe deeper. A seasoned follower's experience. First of all, we need to understand this. 1 Corinthians says, chapter 10 verse 12 therefore whoever thinks he is standing securely should watch out so he doesn't fall David thought he was standing securely he had been faithful king for 20 years now he was going to step back he was not going to fulfill his duties he thought he was entitled to a little special time for himself so we that may have been walking faithfully with God for maybe decades we need to take this story to heart and say, you know, no matter how good of a follower of God somebody is, no matter how devoted, no matter how much they love God and love righteousness, we can still be seduced. We can still be deceived. We can still be tripped up and we can find ourselves standing in the corner, wringing our hands and saying, I can't believe it, man. I can't believe. I can't believe I've done this. And God doesn't want us. God's got us here this morning because he doesn't want that to happen if we are those that are seasoned, mature, uh, long-term followers of Christ. Here's a, a portion of Scripture from Jesus. And this is the last night that Jesus was with his disciples. He had been with them for about three and a half years. They knew the way they had lived for three and a half years. Every day they focused on Jesus, where they went, what they did, what he did, what they learned from him. Jesus was the center of their life for three and a half years. They stayed immersed, if you want to look at it like that, in Jesus. So the last night he's with them, he gives them final instructions. He's, he's less than 12 hours to the cross. He says, stay, what does it say? Join to me. They knew what that meant because they had been with him for three and a half years. Stay joined to me, and I will stay joined to you. Just as a branch cannot produce fruit unless it stays joined to the vine, you cannot produce fruit unless you stay joined to me. On the vine, you're the branches. If you stay joined to me, and I stay joined to you, then you will produce lots of fruit. Fruit is Christ-like character development, as well as service to God and service to man. But you cannot do anything, what does it say? Without me. Now, I have, I have tried to persuade uh, you guys on several occasions about something that's dear to my heart. How many of you still do this in the morning? Don't do this. Don't do this. You need to buy... <laughs> you do. You need... There's no comparison. Your, your oral hygienist will stop lecturing you and start loving you when you get instead of instead of this. All you're going to do is erode your gums. You're not going to you're not going to do any good. But 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 because I have that magical wonderful tool does have its limitations. Uh, I, I have to plug it in and keep it plugged in, and then I set the 
the magical toothbrush down upon the, the, the charger, and it stays on the charger until I use it, and then it does its magical thing. Now, here's the weakness of this thing. As magical and wonderful as it is, unless I keep it plugged in, it won't function, and it starts to lose its power. It might work for a day or so. It might even work for a couple of days, but it's, but it's getting weaker and weaker and weaker until finally it has no power to do what it can do. Follow me now. It has no power to do what it can do. When it's connected, when it's connected, it has the ability to do what it will not have the ability to do if it's disconnected for too long. David's experience tells us if, if I get disconnected from God and his will and his ways and his word for too long, I'm starting to, to, to lose energy. I'm starting to lose the ability. Things that I could do when I'm connected, when I'm full of God's spirit, I suddenly lose the ability to do. David lost the ability to resist temptation, to fulfill his calling and his will, because somehow he got disconnected. Perhaps he was just a little jaded from battle. Perhaps he just felt, you know, tired. Maybe, maybe he just felt like, man, I've accomplished so much. I deserve, I deserve something. I feel entitled. Whatever it was, he lost that connection. And Christ, the last night he's with his disciples, he's saying, just like you guys have stayed connected to me, focused on me. I'm going I'm to expand on this again in a minute with a few verses. That's, he says, that's the way you've got to continue to live. Even though I'm going to not be with you, I'm going to ascend back to heaven. I'm going back to the Father. But you need to live the same way you've been living for three and a half years, connected to me. When you're connected to me, you're going to be productive. You're going to be fruitful. You're, you're going to manifest more and more of my character. You're going to do more and more of the kinds of things that I did. But apart from me, apart from me, you lose your connection with me. You're not going to have the power to do what you can do were you to stay connected to me. It's a good place for us to pause and say if screens went up right now all through this room and we looked at the way we've handled this past week, would the evidence be that we've stayed connected, that, that I've stayed connected, that you've stayed connected this week? Or would there be evidence that we've lost connection, we've lost energy, and we're in an unnecessary, vulnerable position? This is cause and effect, folks. When Christians fall, when David falls, I'm going to show you in a minute, there was crystal clarity why David fell. There was no mystery about this. There's no mystery when you and I fall. Jesus says, if you don't stay connected with me, you're not going to be able to live out this life, particularly with the tremendous pressure, uh, the counter pressure to the, the, the way that God wants us to live that we experience every day in our world. Let me share a couple expan expansions on this. Psalm 16. This is David, by the way. He says, I have set the Lord always where? Before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. What does he mean, I've set the Lord always before me? H how many of you know right now, this room is, is full of radio waves, it's full of viruses, it's full of bacteria, it's full of oxygen, right? It, how many agree with that statement that just made? But we can't see any of it unless we think about it. We're not aware of it, but it's real. It's, it's there. God is what Scripture calls omnipresent. He is present all the time, but he's particularly present with his people because he's within his people, it says. However, if I don't 
get my mind fixed on his presence with me to the point that it becomes a governing reality, a daily reality, um, then I, I lose this connection with God. Even though he's present with me, I'm not present with him because I haven't learned to fix my mind. You will be shocked if you just start reminding yourself a few times a day, God, I just thank you that you're with me. I, I just thank you that your spirit indwells me, you know, that, that you'll never leave me, never forsake me. If you do this, you'll finally get to the place where the presence of God is a constant. You don't even have to, to do this anymore because you have trained your mind. You have reprogrammed your mind. You have renewed your mind, like it says in Romans 12 too, and it will have a transforming effect on us. We stay connected. One more verse about how to stay connected. Psalm 28, once again, David. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart, what does it say? Trusts in him and he helps me. When we focus our minds on God's presence, his very presence, it strengthens us, particularly at the times when we might feel tempted. Uh, we, we have a different kind of a power. We're plugged in and we can resist temptation and we can do what is right because his power comes from a realization of his presence. This is the way we walk with God, folks. It's, it's not enough just to kind of plug in once, you know, once a week on a Sunday. I mean, I, I appreciate so much that you do. But as Kim was saying earlier, you need some more. <laughs> okay, we all need some more. All right, let me close with one last verse. And this is kind of the key to what happened with David. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always, that's a big word, always give yourselves, how much? Fully, always fully. Give yourself to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not wasted. It's not without productivity. So there's two big words there. Always, always we are to give ourselves to the work of the Lord and we're to always give ourselves fully, not half-heartedly, not dutifully, fully, always to the work of the Lord. David's fall started when he ceased to give himself wholly and fully to the work of the Lord, the work that the Lord had called him to, the work that the Lord had equipped him to, the, the, the work that his experiences and his gifting in life, you know, made him a perfect fit for. Now, I'm going to show you exactly what happened with David. Here we go. Here's the path for you and I. We need to remember this. The path to regretting. If you want to load your life down with regrets, if I want to load my life down with regrets, here's the path. David shows it very clearly. David was in the wrong place. He should have been out leading the troops of the Lord. He knew that. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. It was the spring of the year, the time when the kings went out to fight the battles. He knew that. Wrong place, wrong time. He was looking at the wrong things. He's roaming around on his roof in the middle of the night, and he's, he sees a, a naked woman bathing. Thinking the wrong thoughts, seeing what he shouldn't have been seeing caused him to think about what he shouldn't have been thinking about and then about doing the wrong things, he sends his man, uh, go, go get that girl and tell her to come have a meeting with me for the wrong reasons. He commits adultery. This is not mysterious, folks. When David fell, this is exactly what caused it. When you and I fall, you can follow this same sort of... Uh, I'm just curious. Uh, you, remember, I said at least 35 minutes, so... <laughs> We've had this happen once before. We, we, we trigger the band coming up by, by slides. Um, and, and, and did you guys think this was my last slide? 
Oh, 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 it's another reason then. Okay, sorry. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> I thought maybe they were cutting me off or something. I didn't know what. There's <laughs> something new that we were doing, you know. But this is not a mystery. Try to get this into your heart, into your mind to track yourself, track myself. Because when I'm not serving God, you've got to hear this, some of you, because you're not serving God. When we're not serving God the way that he has called and equipped us to serve him, and you say, well, I don't know how God's called and equipped me to serve him. Where are there opportunities? That's, that's how I learned God's place for me. Uh, I started out as a follower of Christ at age 23, and I just, wherever there was an opportunity to serve, I just served. If there was a need, I jumped in it. I did it. And slowly, as I'm moving, God was able to guide me to the place where he had gifted me, where he had called me, where I'm most effective. How many of you know it's a whole lot easier to balance a two-wheel bicycle when you're pedaling it forward than just standing still, right? Sometimes Christians are like, I don't know what to do. If God will show me, I would do it. And God's saying, man, just get on your bike and start pedaling. Just get moving. Just start serving somewhere. Because David was not serving where God had called him to serve. At the time when God needed him to serve, all this cycle, all this cycle started unfolding. Now, now we're going to change gears, and we're going to now look at an unseasoned. David was a seasoned follower of Christ. He had served the Lord for probably 30 years of his life, but he still could fall, and so can I, and so can you. But now we're going to look at an unseasoned, a, a, a newbie, a new follower of Christ, and we're going to turn this message toward what is about to happen, toward baptism. So let's look at that, an unseasoned follower's experience. Now, now I think that an unseasoned follower of Christ can also have many of these I can't believe I did it experiences I, I mean I know certainly before age 23 uh, I racked up quite a list of those experiences where when I became a follower of Christ I was like man I can't believe I just can't believe what I've done with my life I, I can't believe I did that I can't believe I said that I can't believe I hurt people like that I can't believe I, I was that selfish, that cruel, that, that un, uh, unthinking, and so forth. And I suspect that those that before we come to Christ or when we've newly come to Christ and we're about to be baptized, we, we have those. I can't believe I did. Here, here, here's other, other things that might go through a new believer's mind or somebody that's about to be baptized mind. I can't believe I waited so long. Why did I wait so long? I've known about God's goodness for so long. I knew Christ was, was the creator of the universe and loved me so much he died on the cross for me to, to prove to me that I could trust him. I, I felt the tug on my heart many a time to become his follower. I knew that's what I should do with my life. Why did I wait so long? I can't believe that I disregarded the creator of the universe, the one that died on the cross for me, I just kind of treated him like an insignificant thing. I, I just kind of acted like if God's there, Eh, he didn't really matter because no serious people take him serious. And so I'm just going to live my life, do my thing. I'm not such a bad person when you rate people. I'm, I'm as good as most people are, so that's all I care about. Maybe you're thinking, I can't believe that I, I thought like that for so long. I can't believe that, that I didn't pay attention to the fact that the creator of the universe had given a crystal clear revelation of himself, a record of himself, uh, a truly compelling evidence-based record of himself contained in a book called the Bible, and I neglected it. I'm ignorant of it. I don't even know anything about it. I can't believe I lived so long like that. So even an unseasoned believer may have some of these I can't believe moments. Now, Let's look at a passage of Scripture that 
leads into this baptismal experience. And I'm going to just start by saying this. Baptism, what we're going to see in just a minute, it, it is an outward or external expression of an inner experience that has happened to the person. There's two different kinds of people uh, that I baptize, and I've baptized through the years. There, there are some people that they are, just like I said, their baptism is an external expression of an internal experience. There are other people that just get wet, okay? So, so today, it's quite possible. Some people are just going to get wet, and some people are really baptized. I, I can tell by the look on your face. You're not tracking with me. <laughs> In other words, some people mistake what baptism is about. Some people think that, that once you're baptized, all your sins are washed away. That's not what the Bible teaches. Some people think that when you're baptized, then you're sure you're going to heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, some people think that when you're baptized, it's, it's kind of like the, the secret handshake. You're, you're in the club now. <laughs> you know? It's not what the Bible teaches. So we're going to take with clean, fresh eyes. We're just going to look at Jesus himself, his words when he first rose from the dead to understand what baptism is about. And you'll understand what I meant, that for some people, it's an external expression of an internal experience. And with no internal experience, the external expression means nothing, nothing. Some of you that are sitting in this room, you've already been baptized. You might be getting baptized again because you can remember back when you were baptized, you didn't know what the heck you were doing. Everybody was sprinkling water or dunking people. And, and you just say, hey, I, I might as well. It's my age. I'm supposed to do that. That's not correct. So let's look at what Jesus said when he rose from the grave. Here's his word. Then Jesus came to them, and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make what? Here's where we get lost right away. You know how, you know how we read this if we've been in church for long? How we tend to read this if we've been in church for long? We read this like, go and tell people that if they believe I died for their sins, they can go to heaven. That's all they have to do is just believe that I died for their sins and they can go to heaven. That's how we read this. That's how churches all across America present this. It is, it is just awful. That is not what Jesus was saying. If you would have been in the first century and you, you heard that word disciple, Jesus said, go and make disciples. Here's what would have, the picture that would come to your mind. A disciple was an individual that was so struck by a teacher, a teacher of God's word, who was so moved by the the composite of their teaching that they would say I, I want to sit at your feet and I want to learn everything that you teach and I want to put everything that you teach into practice because I want to be like you that's what it meant to be a disciple when they first century people heard that word disciple it's like I want to be exactly like my rabbi my teacher Jesus disciples knew what he meant the people listening to him knew what he meant. He says, go and make disciples. Go and make, and that word disciple means followers. It's people that when they see what God is like in Jesus, they say, I want to be like you. It has nothing to do with heaven. I want to be like you, Jesus. I want to think the way you think. I want to feel the way you feel. I want to behave the way you behave. I see something so stunningly beautiful, so right, so good in you. You are what humanity should be, needs to be, ought to be. And I want to be, I want to immerse myself in your teaching until I can gradually grow and develop to be like you. That's a disciple. That's what Jesus said to go. We turn this into this circus, this Christian circus. It's like, go tell people that I died for their sins, and if they believe that, they can go to heaven. Now, you, some of you, you may have become Christians under that kind of terrible teaching. 
because it's a lot to do with your heart. You may have already been ready to follow Jesus, and so even though you, were, you received a terrible presentation, an unbiblical presentation, you still, because you authentically were ready to follow Jesus, you, you became a real Christian, a real follower of Jesus. But that is not the message. That is not. It, it is about trust. I'm going to break this down in just a minute, but let me go on. So he says, go make disciples of all nations. Then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit baptizing this word baptizing it is what we call a transliteration the the new testament was written in greek the old testament in hebrew and a little bit of aramaic that word baptizing transliteration it was baptizo in the greek text all they did was take the word and put it into english so what did it first mean well it was used by cloth dyers in those days in the first century and, and they would take cloth let's say a white piece of cloth and they would plunge it into let's say purple dye and they would plunge it into the dye. Under, it would be immersed in the dye. But then something happened. The dye and the cloth became one. And the dye forever changed the look, the character of the cloth. The cloth was no longer what it once was. It was permeated. It was filled with the dye. It was forever changed by the dye it was immersed in the dye and the two were inseparable at the follow they, they were inseparable at that point Jesus is saying make people go into the world make people my disciples they're going to follow me they're going to immerse themselves in my teaching and they're going to so immerse themselves in my teaching that they obey everything you're going to see he's going to say that in a minute so that I and they are forever one they are forever changed just like that dye forever changes the cloth anybody that sees me from the outside is going to see that's a new person that, that's not the way Randy was I knew Randy when he was on the streets in D.C. that's not Randy that, this is a new Randy since age 23 the dye forever changes the external appearance of the cloth because there was an internal union of the dye with the cloth therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit immersing them in the nature of God the name in scripture meant the nature of God but then he goes on and makes it specific and clear and teaching them to do what? Obey. to obey he didn't say teach them so that they can learn everything that I said so that they can parrot it to others or in a Bible class uh, the world is full of people that can parrot the Bible but that's not what Jesus said he, he said to learn it so that you can obey it a real Christian says I I want to be like you Jesus I want to live the way you live I want to I want to learn everything about you so that I can be like you they're not thinking about heaven he heaven is kind of icing on the cake it's the only place you're fit for by the way you're not fit for this world you're not fit for hell if you are a follower of Jesus the only place you're fit for at that point is heaven that's the only society will be able to stand you at that point because you have this hunger and thirst after righteousness and you love God and you love people and, and you're not a good fit for anywhere but heaven ultimately so he says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So these folks that are going to be dunking this water today, some of them have made a decision to put their trust in Christ, become his disciples, become his followers. And they, in their hearts, are saying, I don't know who you're following, and everybody's following somebody. Everybody in this room, everybody on this planet is following somebody. Most of us are following ourselves, but everybody's following somebody. But these folks are saying today, 
I have put my trust. He has won my trust. If he's wise enough to create this universe and he's sacrificially loving enough for me to die for me on the cross, he's won my trust. And now I'm going to follow him and I'm following him fully. I'm going to do everything he says. He says, stop it. I'm going to stop it. He says, stop and learn it and do it. I'm going to learn it and do it. I'm going to follow him fully and I'm following him freely. He's won my heart. He's won my trust. And I am going to follow him forever. He's infinite. I'm finite. So I'm always going to be needing to learn from him. Even in eternity, I'm going to be learning. It's only fitting that an infinite being uh, should lead, guide, direct, and enlighten a finite being. So I'm going to follow Jesus fully, freely, forever the people that really get baptized today and not just wet that's what's in their heart at bare minimum they're saying you know in a world where everybody's following somebody I so trust Jesus I'm going to follow him for the rest of my life that's baptism that's what it means now I'm going to break this down a little bit for you I'm going to try to go fast because I know I've gone a little long humanity's greatest problems and God's singular solution this is what we've lost track of somehow in church world. What is humanity's greatest problem? What is God's singular solution? The greatest problem we have is distrust in our creator. Satan comes into the Garden of Eden. He slanders God. He says, oh, God doesn't always tell the truth. He's trying to hold back from you. He knows if you eat from that tree, you can be like God yourself. He's just this big bully. He wants to keep you dumb and down. And we have bought into that. We think that if we obey God, obey his will, we'll lose a lot of joy, lose a lot of excitement, lose a lot of spice in life. It's a lie. Satan slandered God. He continues to do that. So we, therefore, like Adam and Eve, we back away from God. We run away from him instead of toward him. But when it comes to that place where, where Christ wins our heart, we now go from distrusting him to trusting him. It's relational. It's called reconciliation in the rest of Scripture. I'm now reconciled to God. I trust him. I want to do his will. I want to learn his ways. I am motivated to learn his will, his word, his ways, because I authentically trust him. Distrust always produces disobedience. You know, once we say, well, God, I don't trust you. I, I, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm going to make my own way. I'm going to just try life out, see what works for me. That produces disobedience. And disobedience sooner or later produces destruction. We probably all have had our share of that lesson. So let's look on the, the positive side. So what does God do? To solve the distrust issue, God uses revelation he reveals himself he revealed himself progressively throughout the bible and then finally and fully in jesus who is god in human form and who sh shows that his almighty power is governed by his sacrificial love when he goes to the cross for us knowing full good and well that we're sinful we're selfish and left to ourselves we're going to be destroyed death will take us one way or another so we go from distrust to trust that's reconciliation and then the last part is critical when Jesus says teach them to obey to obey everything that's where restoration starts once we come back to our creator Christ in trust now by internalizing his word putting it into practice obeying it it changes us and we start to gain a restored image of God. It says in the beginning that God made man and, and you know, woman in his own image. But we've marred the image, destroyed the image, distorted the image. Now when we progressively obey as we learn, that image is being restored. This life is meant to be a developmental journey. It's a journey in which I'm meant to be first reconciled to God. I trust in Christ and become his follower, his disciple. But then I grow, I develop to become the Christ-like 
being that I was always meant to be. You, your cool, unique nature, your unique you know, personality, but a Christ-like version, a beautiful version, a version that's fit for eternity. That's, that's the process that God uh, has put in play. Now let me close with this, this passage of Scripture and just a couple of closing thoughts. Now you have to listen carefully to this. 1 Corinthians 6, it says, Don't you know that unrighteous people will have no share in the kingdom of God. And then what does it say? What does it say? Now the reason it says don't delude yourself because it knows we're prone to deluding ourselves, lying to ourselves, deceiving ourselves. It says says, don't delude yourselves. People who engage in sex before marriage, who worship idols, who engage in sex after marriage with someone other than their spouse, who engage in active or passive, what is the word? Let's go on. Who steal, who are, what's the word? Who get what? Who assail people with contemptuous language, that's profanity. Who rob, none of them will share, what does it say? Let's stop right there. Now first to relieve you, of any angst you may have, I would have been up to this point in my past on that list. I have done some of these things. Therefore, that passage was saying to me, you're not going to be fit to ever enter the kingdom of God because you are practicing something. By the way, this is not the only list of of sins in scripture there's one in Romans chapter 1 verse 28 through 32 there's another one in Galatians 5 they're they're all over the place but this is trying to make a point so he's saying the people who are still practicing these things he says don't delude yourselves you're not a fit for the kingdom of God do I need to go back and read that list again or, or you think you got it the first time you said we're good now it turns good some of you what is this, what's this word? Used to do these things. You don't do them anymore. You become a follower of Christ. You used to do these things. You used to have sex outside of marriage. You used to commit adultery. You used to lie and steal and cheat. You used to be a homosexual. You used to be a passive homosexual. All these things. He's saying, he, he was talking to real people in a real church in the church of Corinth. And he says, I know you guys. I know what your old style was. I know who you were before you turned to Christ. You used to do this stuff. You used to do it. You don't do it anymore. You used to do it. It goes on. But you have Two words. Can you say it out loud? Who, who's, can, I, can I just pray, oh God, cleanse me? Cleanse me, God. What does it say? Cleanse, what does it say? Yourself. Yourself. Now God's going to give me the power to do that. Okay? But I'm going to have to fight with myself. I, I've developed some bad habits perhaps. But I can do this. Some of you used to do these things, but you have cleansed yourselves. You have been set apart for God. You have come to be counted righteous through the power of the Lord, Yeshua, that's Jesus, and through uh, the Messiah and the Spirit of our God. So he's saying once a person puts their trust in Christ, becomes his follower, they're leaving a life of sin behind, and they become a new person. They're not going to be perfect overnight, but they want to be. Now let me close with these two things. The path to regretting. We've looked at this once already. Being in the wrong place at the wrong time, looking at the wrong things, thinking the wrong thoughts about doing the wrong things for the wrong reasons. That took David down. It'll take you and I down too. 
at any time, no matter how far and faithful we've walked with the Lord. We always have to be realistic and vigilant. But there's a different path, the path to rejoicing. And it's just the opposite. I'm going to say, and we can all say before we leave here today, this is going to be my life story. I'm going to be in the right place. David was not in the right place. And I'm going to be there at the right time. And I'm going to be looking, not at the wrong things, but I'm going to look at the right things because that's going to help me to think the right thoughts about doing the right things for the right reasons. We can all, before we leave here today, we can do a couple things. First of all, if you're sitting here today and you've never put your trust in Christ and become His follower, you can make that decision today. You can change your destiny in this life and in eternity today. But you have to understand, that means you're entering into a real relationship with Christ and it's a relationship in one, one in which you are going to say, whatever you say, Lord, I will do. Whatever you say, stop, I will stop. Whatever you say, learn, I will learn. And I'm going to do this, Lord, because I trust you. You've won my heart, man. You're, you're the most beautiful person in the universe. And I want to be like you. I'm doing this today. I'm going to put my trust and become your disciple today. And that's what it means, by the way, to be a Christian. I'm going to do that today, this second, this minute. I did it at age 23. There's nothing stopping any of us in this room if you've never done that. And nobody can do it for you. And no ritual can give it to you. It's an actual relationship. This water does nothing unless there's all already been an internal experience where you put your trust in Christ and said, let the rest of the world follow who it wants to follow. From this day on, I'm following Jesus. And that means I'm just learning, I'm developing. It doesn't mean I'm perfect overnight, but it means I really want to be. So, maybe you were invited here today to participate or watch somebody else be baptized, but maybe this is the first time in your life you've ever heard the real gospel message. You've maybe for the first time ever heard what it means to actually become a Christian, to go from death to life, to go from being someone that's uh, not in union with God to being in union with God, someone that's not going to heaven, that's someone that's only fit for heaven. It can all start today. God promises forgiveness of all of our sins and the gift of everlasting life to anyone that puts their trust in Christ and becomes his disciple. You can do that today before you leave here and you dare not count on the fact that you have another 24 hours I hope you do I hope you have a whole lot of them but I've never met anybody that can guarantee that for you that are being baptized I so hope that you this day will have the, the most precious the most meaningful experience of your life and that when you come up out of this water you will come up out of this water as one that, that is in love with God in love with his word you're going to immerse yourself in the teaching of the word of God so that you can obey it and you're going to say you can look at me and follow me like I follow Christ to everybody else that knows you I won't be perfect but I'm intending to follow Jesus as perfectly as I can I hope that'll be your experience today Right place, right time, wrong place, wrong time. Take it to heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power, the truth of your word. We thank you that there is mercy with you. There is kindness, there's forgiveness, but there's also truth. Thank you for your truth, for the clarity it gives us. It's in Christ's name we pray and ask your special blessing on those that are baptized this day in your name. Amen. Amen. Would you...